outline or our view of specific topics. We talked about the, the mission of Christ, what He came to do, and the last piece of that sermon was that He came to create a people. People of the Son. A people that He is calling out of Adam's fallen race into this new redeemed humanity. The church, all true Christians. Then last week, we got a little narrower and we looked at those people, who we are, four characteristics we saw of Christians, the people of the Son, that there are people delighting, see if I can remember, transforming, reflecting, and expecting. And I want to go down a little even more specific today and talk about that first point, delighting. Delighting in God, finding, pursuing, and seeking joy in God as Psalm 37 commands us to delight ourselves in the Lord. And He will give us the desires of our heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You've preserved it, that we can trust it, that it is inspired, infallible, inerrant, and kept for us. We thank You that we can hold it in our hands in a language that we can understand. Uh, And we pray now as we open up that Word that You would speak to us. Lord, I pray that You would fill me with Your Spirit, that You would keep anything that is in error or not of You, that it would fall on deaf ears. Uh, please, I pray You would speak through me. And I pray for, that we would have ears to hear, hearts to believe and respond in faith. And may we today and every day find our greatest joy and our greatest delight in Christ. And I pray in His name. So we've probably all at times... Uh, bought a knockoff of something. You know, the real McCoy is expensive and too much money and and maybe you wanted that item, whatever it might be, but you couldn't afford the real thing, so you bought a knockoff hoping for a bargain, hoping for a good deal. I think I've told this story somewhere here, Uh, but a long time ago, a job site on a construction site and we were building this strip mall This guy drove up in his car, two guys, and they were selling electronics out of their trunk. What could go wrong with this story, right? Um, And (laughs) so this was a while ago. This was when iPods were all the... If you don't know what an iPod is, it's a little electronic device that holds music before smartphones. So no longer do you need full uh, albums of CDs or stacks of albums or cassettes with thousands of songs in your pocket, right? And I wanted an iPod, and I couldn't afford an iPod, and this guy was selling a brand new iPod. Very cheap, <laughs> right? Uh, so I went and called my wife on the phone and said, hey, I know we don't have that much money, but this guy has this iPod. I'm gonna, can I buy it? And she said, we talked, and she said, go. So I gave him my money, and, and he left, and it was in the box and everything. And once our lunch break came around, I uh, was excited, and I went to go plug this thing in to test it out, you know, and when I opened it, I put it in my hand, and I began to spin the little scroll wheel. If you know anything about Apple products, they're known for craftsmanship. They use high-quality materials. And this scroll wheel felt clunky and funky, and it was not very solid. And there's a little nervousness in my gut, but I said, no, no, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's, it's real. I looked on the back, and hey, there was the Apple logo, so that's good. Uh, it was a little there, which was a little odd, but, you know. And, and then I plugged this thing in and I turned it on and my heart sank because as soon as I saw the screen, it was all this fake looking cheap kind of Chinese writing. It wasn't even in English. 
and it looked like a video game from 1982, and I knew that I had gotten a knockoff, right? I bought a phony iPod. Uh, it still played music, but it was not what I thought I was buying. It was a piece of junk, but that was my, that was my bad, right? Uh, but I think there's a metaphor here for life. that We all want to be happy. I mean, God's made us this way, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. We all pursue things and stuff, and we seek to find joy and pleasure in a variety of things. Our problem is not that we want to be happy. The problem is that we settle too often for the inferior. Settle for the cheap knockoff that always leaves us wanting more instead of real, lasting, satisfaction. God. Because the Scripture teaches that true joy, true happiness, and lasting pleasure is found in God and God alone. Uh, way back in the 1600s, some Christians got together and they were kind of protesting the problems of the Church of England. And they made this document called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now, I say that because I want to read to you the first question from this catechism. They said this, they said, what is the chief end of man? What is man's great purpose and goal in life? What is the, the one thing that we are called to do? The answer is this, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Did you notice the question, what is, what is the chief end, not ends? The answer is twofold, but they saw these things as one. That as Christians, our greatest call is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. They saw these two items as inseparable. That one truly can't bring glory to God if we don't also find our enjoyment in Him. Let me, let me try to illustrate this. I mean, if it's Monday morning and I'm anything but a pastor and I go to work, and here I am at work, my name is Joe Schmo, and next to me and the guy says, hey, how was your Sunday? You know, what did you do yesterday? And I say, well, I went to church. And he says, how was it? You know, the, the music's kind of boring, and I don't really relate to the people. And the guy up front, man, he just talks about the Bible the whole time. But I'm a Christian, and we go to church, so I go to church. Joe Schmo had one part right. He was obedient. Right? He answered the call to not forsake the gathering of the saints. But there was no joy in God. There, there was no delight. He just went out of a duty, right? Twist his arm, oh, it's time for church. I turn the page and tell that same story. Hey, how was your Sunday? Man, it was great. I got to gather with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. We lifted up our hearts and sang to God together. We made a joyful noise to the Lord. Got to see the preaching of the Word. And the Bible actually says that it's a foretaste of heaven that we experience for eternity. See there, uh, God was glorified. The man was obedient. But there was this satisfaction and enjoyment in God. I want to quote to you uh, Pastor John Piper. He's kind of made his, his whole ministry based upon this statement. He says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. And apply that to the story of those two guys that went to church. The one guy went to church, but he was telling the world that he was not satisfied in God at all. That God really wasn't doing anything for him. That he goes to church simply out of a duty. But the other guy that was rejoicing in God, that was enjoying God and His presence and His people, 
brought much glory to Jesus as the world can see that that man truly loves God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. As Scripture teaches, I believe that He is the only source of true and lasting pleasure and joy. Pleasure in God. Sound a little off sometimes to some of us? What do you mean, pleasure in God? Think of glorifying God or honoring Him. We often think of sacrifice, of giving up stuff, of forsaking the world, right? things that I want to do or something like that. But the Bible actually tells us, no, delight yourself in the Lord. The forsaking of those things is, is good because you now have enjoyment, pleasure, and joy in God. Because again, the Scripture knows that true joy, true happiness is found in God. In God alone. So all that to say, my to boil down to my little proposition here we must pursue joy in god we must pursue joy in god number one because full joy is found only in him full joy is found only our text the bulk of our text is taken from a couple verses in psalm 16 so if you have your bible and you want to turn there psalm 16 is where we will begin today this is a psalm of david it's a beautiful psalm, something to read, meditate on this afternoon. I would encourage you, open up Psalm 16, spend some time reflecting on this psalm. This psalm actually in some ways points forward to Christ. As in the book of Acts, we see this psalm quoted in relation to Jesus. There's some foreshadowing here of Christ and His work, but it's not only about Jesus, it also applies to a common person like us. Psalm 16.11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. There's many paths in this life, right? Many, many roads that we can travel. We all here every day our walk in life in a different manner. We all have different paths that we're on. But David says, God, you make known to me the path of life. Well, all of our lives are going to look different. He says that in God, there is one path to life. And I believe he speaks here not just of eternal life, not just the, the way to heaven, but as John 10.10 says, abundant life now. You reveal to me how to live and how to walk, and that path is far better than any other way that my mind would seek to walk or live. And then he said, there is fullness of joy in your presence. This idea of fullness is completeness. It's always full. I picture a cup that is overflowing. But it's not just that it's full, that in His presence we get some joy, or maybe when I'm feeling really spiritual and really reading my Bible and really close to the Lord, then it kind of peaks at fullness. It's not just that sometimes it's full and sometimes it's not. As there is fullness, completeness, all the way to the top, all the time joy in your presence that can last and abide through everything. Through every trial. Through our darkest of lows and, and through our highest of mountaintops. The problem is, We've settled for that cheap knockoff so many times to find 
and contentment in this life. We've settled for the inferior, the things that don't last, that don't satisfy, and we've put them in His place where He rightfully belongs. I want to read to you a quote from a man named C.S. Lewis. You may be familiar with him. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, he was a converted in his life to Christianity. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity as one of his more known Christian works. But he says this, he speaks of our desires and our, and our, and our longings, and he says, in his opinion, uh, they're actually not wrong. It's not that we're too strongly going after things and trying to find happiness in them, but he says our desires and he compares that to in the Gospel that Jesus says there is an abundance of treasures and rewards for anyone that would come to Me. Uh, there, is, there is glorious rewards in heaven. And he says, we have all of this at our disposal, but we've settled for silly things. Listen to his words. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and money and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us in God. He says, like an ignorant child, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do you see the picture he's painting there? This child is in a slum, in a gutter, playing in the mud. And someone comes along and says, I'm offering you this amazing vacation. You can go on this cruise and you can go see all of the South Pacific, all these beautiful islands that God has created. There will be so much food and anything you could imagine. But this child, this is all he knows. And he can't imagine anything better than a mud pie. I mean, he's, he's living his life, right? He's living the dream. He's got his mud pie there. as happy as can be. He has no concept that there could be something far greater in a vacation at the sea. And he applies that to our life, that we too, we settle for silly things. We settle for empty things, mud pies, when there's infinite joy that awaits us in God. I want to say that, I want to be honest, that things can bring us happiness, right? Things can bring us joy for a time, for a season. Um, if you're a guy that likes to hunt, you know, you get a new hunting rifle and you you got to go sight the thing and take it down to the range and test it out and then get an opportunity to take it out. Um, a vacation, right, can bring some happiness. A new home. I mean, come on. A new, a new cuddly, little, soft puppy. Everyone, I just said the word and everyone smiled. Right? It's a cuddly, squiggly little thing. It's adorable. And then it potties all over the house and chews up your shoes and oh, right? Can make us happy for a season. Some of you noticed this week that I was driving a brand new Cadillac. And Don walks in and says, hey, did you get a raise? <laughs> I've always liked Cadillacs. They're nice cars. I don't own a Cadillac. I got rear-ended and the rental they gave me happened to be a brand new Cadillac. Now, it's a nice car. And I, I kind of joked with a guy, and he said, what do you need? And I said, I'd like a four-door if you can. I have a baby in a car seat. And I said, yeah, I'll take that Cadillac. Just joking. And he said, well, that's what I got. Of course. So I drove off in a Cadillac, and it was neat. And I'm playing with all the toys in there, right? Heated steel, heated seats, all this stuff. But after about 20 minutes, it was just a car getting me from point A 
to point B. Yeah, it was neat. Yeah, it was fun to get to drive this fancy car. But after a while, it's going to wear off, right? The happiness, the joy, it doesn't last. But David says that in God's presence, in relationship with Him, there's this fullness of joy that we can experience. It's a, it's a complete and lasting joy that can't be found elsewhere. You can't buy it on a shelf. You can't drink it in a bottle. You can't take it in a pill. You can't have enough surgeries to make yourself have this kind of joy. But he says, fullness of joy is found in God. Back in the 60s, mid-60s, a song came out. Some of you, well, I think everyone probably knows it. Some of you are saying, yeah, 60s, my, my heyday. Um, but a song came out by the Rolling Stones called Can't Get No Satisfaction. Right? Everyone's heard it. He says, when I'm driving in my car, a man comes on the radio. He's telling me more and more about some useless information supposed to fire my imagination. I can't get no satisfaction. When I'm watching my TV, a man comes on and tells me, how white my shirts can be. Now that's happiness, right? I can't get no satisfaction. Now listen, I know this is Mick Jagger and it's the Stones and it's a secular band, but I think he captured really the pursuit of joy and happiness in this world. You can't find it. It's always slipping through your fingers. It's always right there trying to grasp it. I just want to taste it. I just want to have it and I have it for a season. I think I have it for a time. But whatever that thing is, bringing joy and happiness, it fades. You know, that the, the, the paint on that Cadillac fades and chips, and it's really expensive to work on those things, and the, the coolness factor is gone. But David says that there is a completeness, a fullness of joy that can be found in God. And only we must pursue joy in God, number two, because eternal pleasure is found only in Him. Eternal pleasure is found only in God. Look at verse 11 again of, of uh, chapter 16 of the Psalms. He says that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. From now into eternity in the future, however far eternity is, all I know is that's a long time. Right? Trending time. Because there are at your right hand forevermore. You know, as we read the Psalms, we see just this real outpouring of a life lived for God. What it means to be a believer. Right? We don't see this kind of stale, uh, sterile, kind of um, perfect on the surface Christianity in the Psalms. We see rawness, right? Realness. What it really means to grieve, what it really means to be angry, to call upon God, to be frustrated with people enemies in our life, to rejoice and then to grieve. We see in the Psalms the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Uh, we see exhilarating joy right next to the deepest grief and despair. We see mountaintop experiences right next to valley lows. But as you read through the Psalms, we see this one thread through the whole book. And that is that God is the all-satisfying object of His people. God is the all-satisfying object of His people. The Psalms are entirely God-centered. He whom His people seek. He is what meets their deepest needs. He is what fills their strongest longings. 
mountains. He is the salve for their wounds in moments of despair. He is the source of true and lasting joy. Pleasure is found in Him forevermore. And when he says that, I know we're, I think we're, right? True pleasure is found in Him then when we get there. And amen, right? It's going to be true, lasting, real joy, full, full joy in glory. But I think he means that now. I think he means that he comes to give us pleasure and joy in God now. That there's a joy and a happiness that we can have in God now that this world can never give. It's an everlasting joy. It's an eternal joy. It continues on. It's only found in God. I want to read to you a few verses from the Psalms. Heard a couple. Just to, just to think about this idea of God as the all-satisfying object of His people. Psalm 43.4, he says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. He says, My joy exceeding, and it's found in God. I want to go to Him, to His altar, to worship. And it's not just this, this obedience because of obedience thing, but He goes to God because in God is His source of great and exceeding joy. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing stream, pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You see that picture painted so well of a, of a deer that's been thrashing through the wood. It finally gets a break as it feels like it's safe, and it stops, and you can see the steam coming out of its mouth as it's panting, and it's, it's looking stream or a brook somewhere to get a source of water to 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 be uh, nourished to have their thirst quench and he says my soul is like that deer that long pants for you it cannot be quenched O god apart from you from you the living god psalm 63 in verse 2 says i have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. Amen. The psalmist says here that your love that you have for your covenant people is better than life itself. I would, I would give life up to continue to have you. The love that I have in God is better than even life itself. He goes on in verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. And your will lift up my hands will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise with joyful lips. The Psalms are great at, at painting these pictures. Imagine the most the, the, the greatest delicacy meal you could buy or make, whatever that is for you. Choices cut of meat, um, seafood, vegetables, if you're into that sort of thing most delightful meal that you could imagine. And you know how satisfying it is just to have that, that whatever it is in front of you and your body is, your belly's full and you've eaten to the full. And he says, that is how my soul is satisfied in you. When I eat fat and rich food and my belly is full, my body is satisfied. He says, I find that same satisfaction in you in my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. God is 
satisfied in Him. And the in lasting satisfaction of the soul that comes in knowing God, as we see throughout the Psalms, that He is the all-satisfying object that His people need. And there is pleasure forevermore. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience God. Right? Taste, see. Now, we don't eat of God, but you understand the metaphor again. Taste, see, know, experience God, and you will know His goodness. You will experience this. Psalm 36, 8. Feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. You see this imagery that the psalmist paints about joy and, and pleasure river people are drinking from it's the river of his delights and it's a river that satisfies in his presence there is only this sort of pleasure and joy found in God. eternal pleasure eternal delight is found only in him the fleeting pleasure not this fleeting happiness that comes and goes but he says forevermore from now into and then lastly to god because unshakable resolve, which leads to joy, is found only in Him. Let me say that again. Unshakable resolve, which leads to joy, is found only in Him. I want to go up the page a few verses to verse 8. Psalm 16, verse 8. David says, I have set the Lord... Always before me. Do you see that that action taken on David's part? He says, I'm committed to do this. God is always going to be taking point. God is always going to be before my eyes. I have, I have committed to this. I'm resolved to do this. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Do you see this unshakable resolve that David has because God is with him? Because God is at his right hand. There's a security and a peace that only God can give. There's a certainty that Christians experience that though all would forsake me, God is by my soul. That my flesh and my heart may fail, but that God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. All that we can have, that nothing can separate us from His love, that nothing can snatch us out of His hand, that whatever trial or tribulation we experience in this life, David says, the Lord is at my right hand. And because of that, I cannot be shaken. And it says that my heart is glad. Because of this, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Now, now let me just say here, this is not my heart is glad. It's not this kind of simple, shallow happiness that the world sells us. Right? As you go down the street and you see billboard after billboard, Buy this, eat this, wear this. Right? There's some temporal little happiness those things are supposed to bring. 
But he's talking about deep and meaningful joy in God that flows from this resolve or security that we can have in Him. This is a resolve that that Cadillac out there is going to bring. When it, right? Whatever those things that we go to in life to find happiness, when we are in moments of despair, when questions of our, of, our, of our health, of our loved ones, uh, when our financial security is in question, those little worldly things are not going to do it. Right? They're not give us that security. They're not going to bring us the, the joy and gladness that we thought that they did. But David says, he rejoices because I am safe. I am secure in God. There is this deep and abiding joy because he knows that God is at his hand. Because of that, he cannot be shaken. But why is he so certain? Why is he so split here? Why is he so sure? I think we're helped from the words of Psalm 118. Six. It says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What do to me? Think about that for a second. What can man do to me? A man can do a lot of things to your life, right? Man can uh, take your job. I mean, he could take your home. He could empty out your bank account. He could a person could abuse you. They could do physical to you. They could potentially take your life. But still, David says, "What does man? What can man do to me?" Because when his joy, when our joy is not found in all of those things. But when our joy and our hope is found in God, whether those things are here or whether those things are snatched away from us, it says my hope, my joy abides because it's found in God. In God alone. This God-centered thing that we see in this poems, uh, this idea is the all-satisfying object for believers. This idea of God as the true sovereign that ordains all things that come to pass leads to a resolve, a sense of security, steadfastness. Because if God is for me, again, who can be against me? As we see through David here, that that security, that resolve, that steadfastness, it leads to joy. It leads to true and lasting happiness, knowing that nothing can separate him from the love of God. I want to read you this is just taken out of Psalm 16. As I, as I was talking about the Psalms being so God-centered, God at the, at the central peace theme of the Psalms, how the psalmist seemed to live a life that is, just, that is just completely focused on Him and upon Him. I want you to hear David's words just in Psalm 16, in these short 11 verses, all of the ways that he points to and places his hope in God. He says, I have refuge. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen. He is my cup. He holds my lot or maintains my future. I bless the Lord. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall be shaken. He says, my heart is glad because he is at my right hand. My whole being rejoices because he is at my right hand. It is God that makes known for me the path of life. 
There is fullness of joy in His presence, and there is pleasure forevermore at His right hand. Do you see how central and supreme God is in the life of David? He recognizes that there is fullness of joy that can only be found in God. There's a sense of security and hope we can't have from this world. Whether you, whether you have life insurance or fire insurance or every insurance under the sun, right? Only in God can we have this resolve and sense of security that David had. And it leads to this exceeding joy as he places his full hope and his full trust in God. I quote, Once we had no delight in and Christ was just this vague historical figure. What we enjoyed was food and friendships, activity and investments, vacations, games, reading, shopping, sport, TV, art, travel, but not God. He was an idea, even a good one. He was a topic of discussion, but he was not, at one point, a treasure of delight. Miraculous. Like a blind man given sight for the first time. At first, when we saw Jesus, when he opened our eyes, we were stunned and silenced as we beheld the beauty of holiness for the first time. Then came the shock that we had all those years lived in darkness and settled for it and enjoyed it and, and, and walked in those things. And then came the stillness of joy that our souls had finally found what they had always longed for. God is truly a treasure of delight. Unending, infinite joy is found in Him. You can search far and wide, and I know many of you have in this life, trying true joy and happiness. You can spend a lifetime trying to find but you will be singing with Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. Though I try, though I try, I won't sing it. I can't get no satisfaction. But there is in God fullness of joy. Here's my, my one exhortation, my encouragement. Put down the mud pie. Put down the silly trick that always leaves you thirsting for more and find pleasure at His right hand forevermore.